This is the Enneagram 8 Podcast, and we're here to take you inside the armor. We're really grateful for this community that has stuck with us through this intense eight journey. It's meant a lot. If you'd like to support us by donating to our podcast, at the end of every episode's show notes, there's a link. If you click that, it'll take you right to our donation page. So please consider doing that. And thanks again. Here we are 50 episodes in. We can honestly say there's no way we'd still be here if it wasn't for you all letting us know that this actually matters. It's like we have thousands of of eight siblings running around in the world who we just understand and who understand us. 50 episodes in, we thought it was worth checking in and putting ourselves in the hot seat. So we asked Carrie, aka Cocaine Sunshine, to step in and interview us because we knew she would go all in, bringing her full enthusiasm, which of course she did. And we spoke at such great length that we split this into two episodes. So again, thank you for 50 episodes. You're the reason we're still doing this. All right. You guys ready to do this? Yeah. Okay. Hello. Welcome to the Enneagram 8 podcast. I'm your guest host, Cocaine Sunshine. And today we are going behind the armor with our regular hosts, Joe and Aaron. Can you guys start off by, I know we get to hear bits and pieces of your story, but let's put it all together. So can you guys tell us a little bit about who you are individually? (laughs) You want me to start? Okay. I was the kind of eight kid you would expect, really rough and tumble, oldest sibling of a family that was super spread out. So I have a little sister who's close in age and then two much younger brothers. I would say that I was a really athletic, really intense kid and took that into adulthood. I don't think that really stopped. I did everything intensely and full on. So when I had relationships, they were really intense and that would include my husband. So met him and three months later we're engaged and then married within that year and then had our first kid nine months after that. (laughs) (laughs) Go big or go home, baby. (laughs) Yeah. And of course, the attitude was cool, 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 cool. All right, let's keep going. Let's have another four or five. Let's just keep going. So we ended up having five kids in really close proximity to one another. And then I still had energy and I still (laughs) had love. And we decided, okay, let's help some kids that need help. So we became foster parents and fostered five little girls. And the last one became our sixth child. So now we've got a big family, six kids. And seriously, I'm all over the place, backwards camping, high energy, grappling with people's souls really intensely everywhere I go. I'm the same me, just I think more mature, cause less harm, but still love big and live big, all that good stuff. I love it. What about you, Erin? I grew up in a conservative Christian family, but I was loved very well. So as an eight, I think that really formed my childhood well. I have a brother and a sister. I met my husband in high school. We got married at 23 and went on to have three kids before I was 30. And they're older now. And I feel like we're in this thick of life where I was very confident in raising our kids when they were younger. And now that they're in their teenage years, I feel like every day I have no idea what I'm doing. And that's not, that is not a comfortable space for me. I like to be very confident in what I'm doing at all times. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. this day-to-day winging it is, uh, I don't like it, but it is what it is. 
I, yeah, as a child, I, I organized and planned everything. I was the like, come along, do it or don't do it, but we're doing it and I'm doing it. And if you want to join me, you're you're more than welcome. But hey, Rachel, we were up for adventures all the time. That's a good way of describing. <laughs> I, I'm like soul grasping intense and she's planning. She's planning. Yeah. Writing. In a nutshell. Yeah. Come. Yeah. Have too, but you have to come. So is Aaron, is that your three? And Joe, is that your four? But it's also the social SX, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So my SX and four mo- like completely amplify all that intensity and Aaron's social and three yeah. amplify that that dynamic. So we are like really a good, <laughs> we're a good example of how different eights can be, I think. Yes. Yeah. So could you just say what your subtype and your stacking are just to keep it organized? So Aaron, I am eight, three, seven. And I am social, sexual, nope, yep, <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> social, sexual, and then self-prez, very, very far down the list. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> I am 847 or 874, and I am SX very obviously first, self-prez is next, and then my social's almost not there. <laughs> wow. <laughs> For Joe, what stands out to you that it's like, this is so far down there? Like, how is it obvious to you in your... They say that your last stacking is something that you avoid. It feels dangerous. It's either something you actually just don't think about as far as like your consciousness goes. It's almost Mm -hmm. not even a thought. Or it's something that feels, you feel like you're drowning when you're dealing with it. So for me, I would say where it doesn't factor in it is I don't think about group causes. I don't like it when I think about something that I want to get my hand in, it's one on one with somebody. Mm-hmm. I want to change one life at a time. I don't want to go marching. I don't want to go hold signs with other people <laughs> holding signs. The energy of it doesn't feel satisfying. It just feels like a drain. Mm-hmm. Uh, groups make me nervous. I don't trust them. I don't understand them. The dynamics, there's too many of them and I can't focus on any of them. So I often get in trouble. Hmm. So I've learned like, like a dog that's been kicked or something that I I get in trouble in groups because I don't understand them. Whereas one-on-one, I have a eerie ability to have a radar for individuals and um, ask Erin, I can get her husband who doesn't talk deeply to talk deeply. And within (laughs) minutes, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. So it's with my job. Right. That's right. So it's something that I find intuitive, whereas groups are so not intuitive to me. I would agree with a lot of that. Like I uh, marching and holding signs, I couldn't think of anything less I want to do. And I actually don't think that they would serve the purpose or the cause. And so when I'm looking at um, the social part and the big picture and the humans, I am looking at where humans are harmed. But funnily enough, I then go to like, who do I help? Well, I'm very aware of the big group, which is what I think Joe isn't aware of. Like she doesn't grasp. And I, and I have this problem with my husband problem. It's not a problem. It's different. <laughs> it's <just> different. <laughs> but my husband and I have these conversations because I get frustrated about certain things right now in the world and and kind of policy on certain things and his response to me trying to push back will be you're one person you don't matter and my response to that is if everyone thought like that nothing in the world will change yeah he doesn't feel that right and that is to the depths of my soul Mm -hmm. I know that yes I am one person but the big picture is so important to me yeah yeah I think that makes sense do you think that that is an eight characteristic 
the even though I'm one person, whether you're making a difference like on a global level or you know that you're going to make a difference in somebody's life or in a life of, a, of small groups or whatever. But yes, I agree. The word is impact. Mm-hmm. And I think eights know they leave an impact. So right. I'm very aware that I change individual lives by the hundred. And so it amounts to being a group. Yeah. <laughs> but these yeah. are one-on-one connections. They're not even connected to each other. Mm-hmm. Whereas Aaron can actually move an entire <laughs> group just, of people. I was actually just listening to you thinking, that is sounds exhausting. One at a time, like over and over and over. Like I could just meet with five or 10 or 20 people and we could just talk. My and... way is so inefficient. It's <laughs> yeah. crazy how inefficient it is. No, but it's also super necessary there's many people that cannot be vulnerable or have their needs met in a group setting many many people right most of us actually no one's that vulnerable in a group so Aaron when you said that you said you know my husband says you're just one person you know you're not gonna make a difference you guys can imagine my loud facial expressions (laughs) like I was like Oh, barf. Like, thank you. What, thank what you. are you, so you know, talking I, about? Like, that I is. I know the slip up where I said my husband's problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, 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 causes, a it causes a reaction where you're like, why would you say that? How, how could you th- how could you think that, right? Then going back to your first question with my self-pres being last and how that shows up is that I don't take care of myself as a priority. I am, like, pushed through for all the other things. Yeah. And I paid the price for that, right? Like, and I think you see a lot of our listeners and a lot of people I've talked to, mm-hmm. primarily too in the gut triad, but they, there's a lot of health issues with people with self-pres last. Yeah. And now I have an autoimmune disorder and no thyroid. And, you know, like yeah. there is a price to pay when we don't hone in on the stuff where I think it's what you don't want to give up for the sake of the other stacking. Yeah. So, I would have to give up the intense interactions that I crave with SX if I wanted to fit into a group nicely and move the group along. Because I forget that. I can't have that kind of intensity with the whole group. Mm -hmm. And Erin would have to give up her natural tendency to give of herself and prioritize other people's needs, which Mm -hmm. is so natural to you. You would have to put that on hold to go take care of you. And that doesn't feel natural. And so you thrive by this, the group dynamic of you making the group more healthy and you spending yourself on the group. But self-pres by its very nature means you've got to pull out of the group to take care of you. And that's just so not natural. And you hit it earlier when you said that we often the the one we use the least is the one we're afraid of and my initial reaction was like I am not afraid of self-pres and then it was like oh actually (laughs) now that you put it that way yeah yeah, that sounds terrifying for sure and just saying that makes me feel yucky but but even just the thought of being alone with me right like I'm learning to do that better now in health but the thought of being alone with me is a yucky feeling for me and whatever that means, right? Like there's clearly underlying stuff that needs to be sort of dealt with at some point in my life. But there is something that I don't like about that thought. And Mm -hmm. I don't like getting lost in a group. Yeah. I feel like I get lost. Yeah. So I have a solution for all of this. I just thought of this as you guys were talking. (laughs) All of the eights who have a social instinct need a sexual or one-on-one eight in their life so that the one-on-one can like make sure that they're intensely getting into into that one to like help them even things out and then the reverse like if there's any big social groups then the uh then the social can like protect that is the, that describing our friendship yeah that is our friendship 
even from the youngest age was her dragging me to all these group things and me learning to be lighter mm-hmm. hearted and like learning what it means to try and be me in a group. Yeah. And then me being like, do you need to dig deeper? <laughs> <laughs> what do you feel? Okay, good. Good job, guys. You already did it. <laughs> Thanks for fixing that. Okay. Let's dive all the way in. And since this is the thing that the eights dislike the most, let's answer what makes you feel vulnerable? The times I feel the most vulnerable, and it's happened recently, is when I can't protect my kids from something. Mm-hmm. And the horrible feeling of I have no control over this, this may end terribly for my child. And I, I have the ability to fight and to, to help. But at the end of the day, I have no control over the outcome of the situation. And that made me feel the most vulnerable I think I've ever felt in my life. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever been in a position feeling more vulnerable than that. Yeah, I mean, it hits all of the things, right? It's like your children who are in your charge, in your inner circle, you're the ones you're called to protect, right? And then you have the planning aspect where it's like, that's gone. And you can't do anything. It's like and the eight, like big picture thinking and three big picture thinking does not serve me well in those moments, because mm-hmm. I can play out the scenario in many ways. And even the worst case, which I'm not a worst case scenario person, almost ever. Right. But when I feel like I have zero control, it's really easy to go there. And when I go when I went there, the impacts of the thing I have no control over were so big. And I know they're big. And I know the long term fallout could be massive in a very negative way. This could ruin my kid forever, or this could grow my child, and they're going to be okay. But I don't have the control over, you know, short of my faith and, and prayer, I, like there is some control and power. But, but ultimately, it's not up to me. And, right. and a lot of things are right. This is completely letting go and hoping and praying desperately that it is going to end in the way that is not going to ruin my kid. Mm-hmm. Mine is tied to my tri-type for sure. Um, and hers is tied to hers. So this makes sense. I, since I was little, have always walked around with a message in my heart. And it's, I've learned partly because of the prophetic gift that I'm only just learning about. But there's always this achy, passionate, fiery knowing either about individuals or about a group of people. I know who they're supposed to be. I know I know what they were made to do in the world. I know what they're struggling with, even though no one told me. It's this knowing. So picture the word know, but with a capital K. And I can't explain it. I just know. Mm-hmm. And so it burns inside me. And ever since I was little, I would spill it out. And of course, the message is so tied to me and so deep in me that if that gets mocked or rejected Mm. or people um, misunderstand my heart, because it feels like I'm handing them my heart when I hand them the message. And this is where it ties to tri-type. It feels less vulnerable for me to do that one-on-one. I will hand it to an individual and tell them this thing I know about them that's beautiful or this thing I know that I'm concerned about. And if it goes wrong, it feels manageable. It feels like that's okay. I usually do it within the context of a relationship I already have with them. So it just feels safe. But I'm in a season of life now and have been through seasons where I deliver the message to a group and I get destroyed. Hmm. And it spirals. It's like it's like a disaster of a snowball effect that happens. And I can't, 
I can't understand the dynamics, like I said, and I don't know where it went wrong. And I can't talk to all of them to try mm-hmm. and make them see. And so then I just, it builds that sense of being ostracized that was already there. So I would say, yeah, bringing that deep rooted message that I have in me to a group is the scariest thing. And the reason that's reinforced is because it's gone wrong mm-hmm. enough times that, so feel oh, there's a feeling in my body when <laughs> yeah. I just talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that that's a thing for any of us that when we, you know, you start talking about the thing that makes you feel vulnerable <laughs> and you're like in your stomach, like down in there and you're like, oh gosh, no, like get it away. Get it away yeah. from me. What makes you want to fight? <laughs> People who take away my power <laughs> to protect my family. Yeah. <laughs> that or and every eight will say this, but injustice, right? When things are not right, and I don't want to say the word fair, because I actually am not that concerned with fairness. I am more concerned with harm on humans. Yeah. Yeah. When someone is harming humans and and carelessly doing so, oh, that makes me want to fight. Yeah. I would say when either myself or someone else are being misunderstood. Hmm. So if I can see their heart, and it's this beautiful heart, and I, I can see it, that somebody is making them feel shame or small or little. Does it make you want to fight when someone does that to you? Oh, both. Oh, I'm like, you sure. know what? It's the same. When someone doesn't understand my heart and attacks in that way too. Oh, yeah. Do I That's ever right. want to fight? Mm-hmm. No, I think because we're people who value integrity and matching the inside to the outside. Mm-hmm. If somebody uses words to paint us the wrong way, it's not just a mental rage exercise. It's like our whole body's like, that's <laughs> wrong. Yes. That is wrong. And it's the same thing. The people who are close to us, we know them. There's an imprint of them in our body. Mm-hmm. And if someone paints or smears them mm. a way that um, doesn't fit them, we feel it. Yes. So I will fight with words. And I fight by painting them the right way. I'll overlay the right words. <laughs> over their wrong words if mm-hmm. I can. so this is really funny because I also do this in in like a social context I'm listening to you with the sexual one-on-one but if somebody is standing up for a cause that I violently disagree with is harming humans and they're fighting for that cause I will fight back like the same way you will that's the most <laughs> intense I've ever seen Erin uh-huh, yeah <laughs> yeah if she and I are on different sides of that particular issue that's when I'm a little overwhelmed by her energy <laughs> And that says a lot because she's one of the safest people. But the amount of energy, it's like a shockwave of energy that like pound. I've read that especially like eight wing seven people, we use words, you know, in a very persuasive, colorful way. Except my words get stuck. Do you know? I, it's like, energy. I the energy is so loud and the roar in my body is so loud that I yeah. have to like deep breathe to be like, what? Do do? <laughs> what words do I want to come out here? Because I'm just gonna say a whole pile of stuff in this like flurry of crazy. It's not Aaron's words that overwhelm me at all. Uh huh. <laughs> I, I the feel feeling you can I, feel it. Yeah, I get tumbled up in my words too, but my intensity. words can trump her words. Her energy trumps yeah. my energy. Wow. Because um, I, I have a bigger body response, I think. Yes. Erin, you have to like record yourself the next time you're in a fury. <laughs> and we'll be like, oh, yeah. Oh, look at her go. She is. No, yeah, I don't want to get in the way of that. There's probably some swearing involved in that. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Made for our podcast. I actually, if, I'm never going to put it out. But I cut out a section of one of our episodes because she and I got into it. We got oh. into it. And you can feel it. <laughs> 
you shouldn't have cut that out. That would have been fun. It would have blown up. Was I winning? Was I winning? (laughs) You guys were. You guys will never know. So when you guys record, are you? Can you see each other or no? Yeah, yeah. We're. Are you together? It's essential. Like we don't. Yeah, yeah. It's not the same. Okay. All right. Good. Oh, so that would have been. I think Aaron's right. I mean, that would have been kind of fun. And like, you know, all the eights were like, yeah, yeah, what, what? You know, then we could have picked sides. It would have been really fun. Um, that would have anyway. been fun. We could have put a poll out. Like, yeah, anything. yeah. Can you just imagine all the twos <laughs> listening who are just dying hearing this? So like, they think it's a game. They think it's a game to fight. They said, am I winning? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Okay, so on a little bit lighter note, what are three average everyday things in life that annoy you? I don't like when people say no. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty annoying. Especially, especially if they say it twice in a row. Like, <laughs> I, I'm okay with like a lot of yes, 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 and then a no. That's okay. I, I'm okay with a, a yes sandwich with no in the middle. Mm-hmm. Okay, can I offer the flip side of that? Because sometimes I am the no, no person. There's a lot going on over here that has nothing to do with you. <laughs> and I want personal. to be there. I know. Is this like some kind of weird passive aggression that's going on right <laughs> no, now? No, Are no. Are you guys okay? Go at her honest moments. And I know I've hit them, but many people have. Let's be honest. <laughs> Can we just tell? I walked into her house today and her living room is covered in frames with a weird so- modern art monstrosity in the oh, middle weird. of so my way of dealing with this is so what do you got going on over there because um <laughs> that's exactly how she said it so like what is what this? is this yeah like, okay these so- are the frames that are waiting for the pictures to be printed that are going in the frames i was like oh, thank goodness that's the stock photo that came from target <laughs> Thank goodness. Yeah. You know what? This naturally lends to the second thing that annoys me, which is passive aggressive. I yeah. would far prefer somebody just say it, even though it absolutely stings. Okay, I'm, but not... th- I'm sorry, but that was passive aggressive. So, like, what are you doing? Like, What's going on? Here? What are you That's thinking? Passive aggressive. Say, I don't I really don't like what you've done with your wall. Why did you do this? My mom taught me to ask questions oh. first. If you had said, "Oh no, this is this is what I'm doing," I'd be like, "Yeah, yeah. that's too bad." Yeah, that's here's been the next step. Yeah. Joe's question is like, why do you like ugly things in your house? That's weird. My response was passive aggressive too, because I said, but I really like how you asked. (laughs) Everyday things that annoy me right now, but my daughter is a lifeguard and she teaches swimming lessons at a pool and we have about 25 towels in our house and we have a pool in our backyard. And for the life of me, I can never get a towel. There's never (laughs) a towel for me ever. But if you open the door to her bedroom, there's probably 19 wet yeah. towels on the ground. What about people annoy you? People that don't do their job annoy me. When you go to a store and you ask where something is and they're like, ah. if you didn't see it, it's probably not here. <laughs> Makes me want to lose my mind. I thought that was like not allowed in Canada. I think you're supposed to like only always be friendly. <laughs> well, they're very friendly when they say it. They're very friendly. Oh, okay. It's right. not helpful. Okay. <laughs> but I grew up. When I was in, I guess, my late teens, I worked in a department store. And the biggest thing we learned is if you can't solve the problem, you find someone who can solve the problem. Like mm-hmm. You never leave a customer till their problem is solved. So I don't yeah. know, maybe that's ingrained in me. And so when these people are just like, well, I don't know, <laughs> you didn't see it, we probably don't have it. Carrie, tell us a few of yours of my jogger memory. Things that annoy me? Yeah. Uh, slowness. Anything oh, slow. Uh, slow drivers, slow thinkers, slow talkers. I can't 
deal with that, especially slow drivers. That's very annoying. I will respond to that. So I'll say that, yes, people who are slow drive me crazy. People who can't make a decision make me crazy. However, I have lots of training in this area because my husband is incredibly (laughs) slow, except he will tell you he's not slow, but he's very slow. He's slow in his driving. When I try and push him, he's like, what is the rush? Like, why can't we just enjoy the time we're taking to get there? Um, efficiency. I don't know. Right. Well, uh, I don't have to be efficient. Then I take a deep breath. And I'm like, okay, I don't have to rush through this. Like I miss so many things, but no, I can't, especially when it's like, where do you want to eat? Um, well, Hummers and horrors. That's what I call them. I can't stand mm. Hummers and horrors. That makes me crazy. Like just pick a place. I've actually watched people take Enneagram tests in front of me. And, and if they're like, Hmm. You know, I really don't know how to answer this question. Uh, it really depends on the situation. And like, sometimes and I'm like, Oh, my gosh, you're not an eight. So let's just cross that one off. (laughs) Everything is just instant, right? Your gut tells you to just I remember doing them with my husband. And I remember him saying to me, how do you make that decision like that? I'm like, I don't know, it's just the most true in the moment. Mm -hmm. Like, it's whatever's the truest as I read them, I just click that. Yep. He's like, but that's not honest. Like you also feel this way or you also behave this way. I'm like you're right. I do. But this is just the truest yep. in the moment. Yep. Totally get it. You couldn't understand it at all. One more is I don't like repetition at all. My husband is a nine. And if he is trying to get something across, that's very exciting to him. He tells it three times in slightly <laughs> different ways. And I, it's, I silently count on my fingers. <laughs> and it, it, takes him a long time and he loops around and it's I don't know why he stops at three I mean he might as well keep going but he does he always stops at three in my head it's like I'm writing the arc of a better story and it would stop at one it just would always stop at one that's anyway. so funny because I have the same problem with my husband especially when we're fighting and he needs to give his side of the story uh, and I cut him off I'm like I understand your point he's like yeah. no, I haven't even explained my point and I will tell him what his point is and he's like yeah but I yeah, but I want to talk more about yeah, it. But I didn't get to explain it all. How do you know that's my point? Big picture. Big picture. <laughs> yeah. I can get yeah. from A to B without going through or Real A to bad. Z without going through the whole alphabet. Let's just get yeah. to that and get this over with. Was there anyone in your life who helped influence you to be eight-ish? Yeah. So for me, it's that's pretty straightforward because my mom was an eight. I think she was a two-ish eight. She could see the future unfolding. Mm-hmm. in my life because she'd already lived it. Mm-hmm. So I had a mom who was not afraid of my energy. She could meet my energy. Well, people said they could feel energy cu- coming off my mom, that she was an intense person without being someone that talked a lot. She knew my thoughts, which was creepy. Always <laughs> knew what I was going to do before I did it, which of course would appeal to my eight four mm-hmm. who wants to be deeply intimately known. Right. So she knew me better than I knew me. And yeah, she was so proud of me. She was such a fan of me and would talk me through like all the hurt and build me up and all that. All these things that you're describing is flashes back to you describing yourself in the beginning, right? Like how you are with your intensity and knowing what's going on behind people's veils. We're all narcissists, I guess, (laughs) because... So speaking of your mom, you, you know, you're saying she knew you fully. 
and she loved you. She was a fan of yours, yeah, right? Yeah. So you being able to be in that space, that's a very precious relationship, right? And now, because you have lived that yourself, you are able to translate that for other people, right? Like, it doesn't have to be through judgment. It's like, no, but I, I love you anyway. I see what's going on. Aaron, what do you got? I would say it would be my dad. My dad is, I think my dad is seven, but I'm realizing recently he might very well be a two. He has a lot of trauma in his childhood, so it's probably pretty difficult to kind of get to the bottom of that. But but he was always very fun and he was always helping others and he was always very proud of my independence. Like he had no... Mm no issue with me wanting to be independent and he um, encouraged it and he celebrated it. And while I don't think he really understood me the way Joe's mom understood her, it didn't matter because I was still approved of and loved. Mm -hmm. I I think for eights, like when I listened to some of the people in our um, following talk on our Instagram, I think that's one of the hardest things. I think that one of the biggest traumas for eights is having a parent who squashes you. I grew up feeling very safe and very secure mm-hmm. uh, and very confident. And Joe can attest to that through our teenage years. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you saying that reminds me of you talking about yourself also in the beginning. You want the green light. Yes. You want to have clear passage to go and do what you need to do and not have Every time. hurdles, red lights. I, I don't even that. mind hurdles. Red lights I don't do. There's yeah. no such thing as a red light. It's always <laughs> a yield sign and you can just figure out your way around it. For both of you, what is a characteristic of eights that stands out to you that you most individually identify with? I think for me, it is the empowering other people to be the best version or live their most authentic lives. To empower someone to go then do it on their own. That piece that we do as eights. Mm-hmm probably my absolute favorite thing about us. When we interviewed Jerome Lubba, he said that eights are disruptors. And Mm. he gave the analogy of when you're trying to build muscle, you have to tear the muscle for it to grow. I relate to the fact that I seem to put my finger on people who are stuck. And I name the thing they're stuck in. And then I push them in the direction of the way to get unstuck. And it hurts Mm -hmm. them. It's uncomfortable. Some people love it. Some people hate it. It's that quality of moving people off their lack of inertia, like their stuck spot into forward momentum. I take them when Joe does that and pushes them. And then I solve all the problems. I say, here's (laughs) how you fix all those things. Joe Joe gets them to the point of like, here's what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And then I am the person who says, I know how to do that. It's mm-hmm. like um, the four gives me the ability to see what's missing, which is good and bad, right? If I fixate on that, it could be bad. I'm learning to do it in a really fresh wind kind of way. Like this is the piece that I see you are meant for and you're just mm-hmm. not there and, and it gets them unstuck. So yeah. I would say the disruptor, the the mover. What you just said, that's really powerful language. That is a really powerful way to put it for someone, right? That's a very positive and encouraging push toward going the right way rather than why are you sitting in your problem? This is your issue. My younger self caused a lot more harm. I would name the thing that was 
<laughs> yeah. I think I expected them all to be happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I feel this exact same way, except it, my piece wouldn't have been, here's what you need to fix. It's here's how you fix what you need to do. Mm-hmm. Like, here's how you need to do this. Yeah. Here's how you go get there. But they're the right? ones that and, would identify their own problem. And that's yes. from there you'd springboard. But, and sometimes I did identify the problem, but that wasn't my, like my. Your MO. My, no, it was always empowering them to solve it. Right. Not necessarily calling it out. When you are angry or upset about something, what is the best possible way someone could respond to you? Bear hug. Yep. And I, I don't want them to ask permission. I just mm-hmm. want someone yes. to actually grab me and Physically. not just hold me like squeeze in a really strong way, but not to let go for a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it has to be a good long hug and just breathe, just breathing. Mm-hmm. Yep. I yeah. exactly the same. And that'll do it. I've told my husband this so many times. Like you can't sit across the room and yell at me when we're angry, even if I'm yelling at you. This will not solve the problem. Mm-hmm. Like I need you to come get me. And by come get me, it's that. I need a huge hug and I need you not to talk. And I need you not to let go for a long time because that will bring me back down to a place where I can be reasonable and rational. Mm-hmm. But when I'm in it and it's heat throughout my body, I'm not going to necessarily be reasonable or rational. When we get to that ultra high point, right, because we have a gut reaction with our anger, it's almost like when you're treating someone who's having a seizure to help hold them, right, so that they don't bonk into something or, or hurt themselves further, you know, to sort of like to take some of that energy and, to, you know, help contain all the stuff that we're feeling. It, it regulates our body again. Yeah. And Joe, you said at the beginning, don't ask me, can I hug you, right? Because no. our answer is going to be no. No, I think that's one of the hardest things of being an eight. Like we've got the be- one of our better things, but this is the hardest is yeah. that when people ask me questions, it makes me, can I help you? Mm-mm. Can well, so I do something for you? The reality is the person who'd it. grab you in that kind of hug, the context is they know you well enough to do that. If we asked your friends in high school what you were most known for, what would they say? My boyfriends. <laughs> you say it so sheepishly i I I will tell you though that that is not what came to mind when i first thought of you as a teenager it's your toughness oh that's funny no your toughness but they go hand in hand actually is the problem boyfriends and toughness yeah here's the thing (laughs) the toughness meant that the girls were not interested and so i didn't have girlfriends Mm. which meant that i migrated towards boys and then all my intense passionate self ended up in really deep relationships Mm mm-hmm So it was kind of like the pond I got shoved into because I didn't have girls who distracted me and took my time up. But do you think you didn't have girlfriends because it made you more vulnerable? No, not at all. Because I'm a four, eight, four. I wanted to gush and be deep with people. But there's almost no one like that. 5% of the population has the kind of depth that I love and feel safe with. That just isn't something you're going to find in high school. Let's be honest. I ended up with a few really long, deep relationships. I actually remember that someone from high school did tell me something. (laughs) Once? (laughs) I did ask. I did ask. She said, we thought that you thought you were better than everyone else. And I was like, like, well, that's because I was. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like, you're a bunch of lemmings. Like, you would all jump off a cliff. I don't, you all dress the same. You like, but yeah. So it was like, I was very (laughs) aloof for sure. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand the group. High school's one big group. (laughs) Yeah. 
you guys were so foreign. So I would just quietly watch like I didn't. It's so funny because we were very similar in certain things. So most of my friends in high school were also boys, but mostly because I just thought girls were stupid. Not because mm-hmm. they, they dressed the same, because I would have been the girl who dressed like them. But it was the helplessness behavior. Yeah. And that like, ah, you know, I couldn't do it. So most of my friends were boys and I couldn't do the petty girl, just the meanness and the talking yeah. to people behind their back and whatnot. And yeah, I think that's half of why I didn't drink is I also thought I was better than them because I was never going to be the girl who took her shirt off in front of all the boys at a party that they're all talking about. I just was so determined to never be lumped in with that stereotype Yeah, of a high school girl. Blech. Yeah. <laughs> it also goes along with the way that AIDS are absolutely not afraid to stand out because we don't have to be the way that everybody else is. I am glad that I'm not. And you know what? That is my high school summed up. Like I went to the parties, but I never drank. Yeah. I participated in high school, but I was usually with the guys and I never felt the need to join in on necessarily the events of what was going on, but I was present. Mm -hmm. You are who I wished I could be more like. I don't mean you literally. I mean, (laughs) I remember being invited to parties because people were drawn to me. And like initially girls were like, she's got the popular gene. Like she, she should come. And Unlike Aaron, who was like, it's a group. I could do groups. Mm-hmm. I, said no. I said no. I said no enough times that they were like, the no, too many no's. Didn't you just talk about that? <laughs> I know I'm a hypocrite. I'm a hypocrite. I think for me, it would have just been the fun <clears throat> things we did. The planning. I planned camping trips for my girlfriends when we were like 14. One of my uh, childhood best friends, her parents had a tighter rein on their kids than my parents had no rain on any of us my best friend's mom came to my mom and said I used to think you guys were crazy for giving your kids so much freedom but now I see that it worked in reverse for us and I wish we had done the same Hmm. and so I was the 14 year old and I remember parents making comments that we had too much freedom like when I'm organizing a camping trip for 14 or 15 year olds we can't drive we can't do anything (laughs) but I'm organizing it and my parents are like sure we'll drop you off at the local you know the the campground an hour away but my dad would agree it's like what can go wrong we're in the middle of nowhere on a controlled campground with adults everywhere we're just going to play on the beach and hang out my parents were always up for all these shenanigans that I orchestrated I was the one who was always planning What is the most important characteristic you look for in people in your inner circle? Authenticity. I need people who can be real and deep and we can talk about real things and that they will love me regardless of the fact that we might differ on our opinions, that we Mm -hmm. don't have to think the same, but they see the true me and that is enough Mm -hmm. because I don't feel like there's a lot of that right now. It's about feeling like someone has space for me and hold space for other people because I find people interesting. So I grew up in a culture that had no space for anyone who wasn't just like them. And I ran against the grain of that an awful lot. And so I think I'm looking for people who have like a arms open feel to them. And that does not mean they agree. Mm-hmm. That is not what I'm requiring. So we're saying the exact same thing, yes. but you're doing it in a very eloquent four way. I can visualize your hand gestures <laughs> and your facial expression. Wide open with her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Red. Yeah. Up in the air. Yes. Yeah. And I'm efficient. I'm like, you know, just be authentic. Same, same. <laughs> How do you best physically express yourself? (laughs) (laughs) 
I am full body. I am so you are body. more than I am. I know when you're my people, I have no problem hugging and whatever. And I always my initial feeling is I want to hug people and I will if I feel connected. I am very physical. And I I don't like that we're in a culture where that's not allowed anymore. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So I definitely my knee jerk would be to grab first and then apologize after like I don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> our kids are on a ski team. And there has been times where kids have been hurt when we're away and their parents aren't there. They travel sometimes without their parents or they're just not on site. And I have learned to say, can I hug you? Mm-hmm. Because And I hate that. Like, I hate right. it. But that's the culture we're in. But it's not just the culture. Sometimes kids are like, ah, I'm a five, like back it up. Yeah. I've had to learn the hard way that I actually have a child that I have to wait till she comes to me. Yeah. And that was actually, that was possibly damaging if we hadn't learned the Enneagram. I was invading her is kind of how it felt to her. We took in a um, girl when she was 16. And I remember for the first month, she her bedroom was across from ours. And I could just hear her weeping every night. Aww. And every night, I would just go crawl into bed with her and just wrap my arms around her. And I would hold her for hours, like, till she stopped crying, until she would fall asleep. And, I, yeah, I, I couldn't do anything different. I could yeah. not have not done that. Like, it's yeah. not a choice. It is not. It's just the way my body moves. It's, yep. And you know, it's interesting, I'm like thinking about other friends who are not touchy feely people, and their kids who are touchy feely people, they have like a radar that I will be that person. And so they get they get all their hugs and cuddle time with me. And you would think that would be a problem. You would think that the other parent would be envious or jealous, but they're grateful because they don't want to do it. <laughs> That's not the direction you had in your head. You do chin-ups and you run a marathon. How, why didn't you guys say running miles? That's really weird, but okay. Fine. That's, no, no, I hug. I am very physical too. Yes. But no. You're also catching us both at like weird times of life where we're both off exercise, which is strange. Yeah. I actually, my whole life would have said yeah boxing or running or something like that I feel like I'm just in a season where I'm learning that I have to be okay without it and it's coming back like it's I feel like I'm getting stronger and in a place where that's going to become a priority again but I feel that the lesson learned was really important in terms of like rest is okay when your body says it's okay to rest right that's it for today we hope by now you've realized there's a lot more going on under the surface And you'll continue to follow along as we take you inside the armor. Three words that describe us. Deeply contemplative, passionate, and willing. I would say confident, fierce, and protective. Do we have any tattoos? I don't. I do have a tattoo design all sketched up, but I'm never going to get it. For a lot of reasons. But if I had gotten a tattoo, it would have been of the forest oak behind my house, the house that we built. Its branches are actually reaching up towards the sky. We buried my mom's ashes just underneath it. There's a little lantern that glows at night. And oak trees have really massive deep roots. They don't get pushed over in a storm. If we had a family crest, it would definitely have an oak tree. Tattoos? I have no tattoos. But if I was going to get a tattoo, it would definitely be a wave from the ocean. What makes us cry? I have to be very tired to cry. But uh, if I'm tired and I see someone I love hurting, that will definitely make me cry. Or actually, if someone's hurt me and I'm finally past the anger of it, 
and feeling the feelings of hurt, I can cry then too. My own reactivity makes me cry when that amount of fire and electricity pulses through my body, I can barely handle it. It has to leak out somewhere. And it usually comes from feeling pressed into a corner, being embarrassed, being misunderstood. I will hold it in while you're standing in front of me, but I will make an escape. And then I will ugly cry until all that fire leaves my body. The Holy Spirit makes me cry. The past two years, I've been invaded by God. And when he comes, he cracks open my heart that likes to barricade against feeling too, too much and pours in all this love and compassion for people. Suddenly, I am full of this big, deep, aching love. It's not a light cry, a mild tearing up. It's like a heaving kind of cry. And I have no control over when it comes. So this is definitely new territory for me. What is our happy place? When I picture my happiest places, they are lush and deep, dark green. It's thick forest. It's the smell of pine. It's minimal noise apart from the birds and the insects and the wind in the leaves. You know, actually right alongside that, I see the winter version, which works just as well. It's still forest, but the branches are coated in inches of snow and my feet are crunching beneath me. Either works, but I am a forest girl. I literally do hug trees. My happy place, my happy place is always, always, always the ocean. Um, there is nowhere that soothes my soul and calms my soul like the ocean. And I have a theory on that. I think, uh, I think part of it is in my DNA. My, my mom is from California and she grew up on the ocean. My grandmother grew up in Europe uh, at the ocean all the time and talks still, she's 93 and still talks about swimming in the ocean constantly. Um, so I'm sure it's in my DNA, but I also think that my ADHD self loves it because it's super uh, calming and yet stimulating all at the same time. What is our animal? I don't really have an animal I relate to. I would, I would probably say like a lab, but I think that's just because I like labs. <laughs> that's the only real animal I actually like. I have to say lion. It's the big cat energy thing. It's the coiled up power that springs into action and then sleeps for a day. <laughs> It's that vigilant protection thing and the really loud roar when that's what's needed. What is a fiction character we relate to? The last fiction character that I really related to was Joe from the newest movie remake of Little Women. I think the actress's name is Saoirse or Sorsha or something like that. It has to do with the fact that she's a deeply passionate human whose undeniable sense of self meant that she couldn't say yes to certain things that her family wanted for her, that other people wanted for her, even if part of her wanted to. There's this scene where she and Laurie are walking the fields and he's asked her to marry him. And she's so miserable because she has to say no. She wishes she was the kind of person who could say yes. She wishes that she could convince herself that she loves him enough to say yes, but she can't. And his heart is broken and her heart is broken, but she knows who she is and she knows she can't say yes. And in that movie, he's calling Joe, Joe, Joe over and over <laughs> in the movie theater. And I was crying in my seat because it felt like he was calling me. I've put a few poor boys in that position in my youth, broken their heart because they wanted more for me than I could give. Yeah, no, I'm not that deep. I don't have any fictional characters either. What is our drink of choice in the morning? At home, it's a French press coffee, darkest roast I can find, which is usually 
espresso. If I go to a coffee shop, though, after I've vetted it and decided it's worthy of my money, I always order a latte. And if I'm feeling particularly rich that day, I'll order an extra shot. Drinks of choice. I drink coffee in the morning and wine at night and water in between. If we could wear one outfit for the rest of our life, what would it be? The outfit depends. Like if I'm staying home, it's going to be leggings and an oversized shirt. But if I'm going to have to go out in this one time all the time outfit, it would be a pair of jeans and probably just a loose black Lulu shirt. (laughs) It's kind of my uniform. I want to wear things that make me forget that I'm wearing things. And that means they have to be really comfortable and they have to suit me so well that it's like a second skin. That would include this black Lululemon hoodie, the kind that has the really long sleeves with the hole to put your thumbs through, a black cotton mini skirt with bike shorts underneath so I can sit like a man if I want, and a really worn in pair of sneakers. And yeah, all of it in black. What is our color? Uh, My favorite color is probably black, but also pink. (laughs) I honestly feel like every color belongs in its proper spot. But overall, I definitely migrate towards warm tones. So a terracotta orange, fuchsia, pinks, ochre yellows. I've always loved Bollywood movies for all of their fiery saris. What superpower would we choose? I just want to run and run and run and never get tired. I remember one time when I was in the thick of my running days, I went on a night run. And naturally, I actually don't have a lot of endurance. I have to really push to get myself there. But on this particular night, It's like I crossed that magic wall you hear about in the running world. And suddenly there was no more fatigue. And I went as long as I could possibly go without my husband starting to worry about me. And the temperature was perfect and the night was still. And I remember pulling into the driveway and I just started to weep because it felt like heaven. It felt like I never wanted to stop running. We are so excited to share something new we've been working on. We have now launched the Enneagram 8 community. This is a community where Enneagram 8s can come together to feel seen and heard for the heart of who they are, a place where you can just be you. If you're interested in joining us here, go to the Enneagram8community.com to sign up.